This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 191 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. So this past weekend, I was at Walmart doing Walmart things, right? Getting the essentials, and I happened to stumble through the card aisle, and lo and behold, right in front of me were um, some new optic cellos and then also some prism cellos. And I know that's not, you know, an amazing discovery, but uh, I have to say I wasn't hunting all that hard for them. So it was nice to actually see them in the card aisle. It was a site that I'm not used to, or I haven't been used to for several years. And um, there are a number of factors that have led to retail being back on the shelf. It is a, a welcome site to see, but it also comes at a cost because I was looking at those cellos and they were $16 a piece. So I really, I only got one of each just because I wanted to rip something. And, um, you know, it made me think, are rising retail costs good for the hobby? And in the long-term answer, I'm not sure, but I think this is an interesting phase of this, of you know, current market cycle or manufacturing cycle or whatever you want to call this. It's an interesting phase that we're in because cards are finally making their way back to the shelves. Um, and part of that is because Panini has raised the cost. Now, you have to wonder, are these costs going to adjust in the long run because the the supply and the demand have to meet up or else something's not going to work here? Um, I would imagine so. And I want to say this to those of you that were not around the hobby in the pre-pandemic era, it wasn't uncommon to see blasters go on clearance. And I'm not just talking about hoops, even though hoop sucks. I'm talking about even like Prism in certain years would go on clearance. And that doesn't mean they were just blowing it out. But they would take the $20 blasters and lower them to 15 And, you know, if stuff sat around for a little while longer, they would lower it again. And you would rip stuff that normally you wouldn't, you know, rip for the price just because it got so cheap. So I'm wondering, are things starting to normalize? Is this the next step? And I think so. So that is encouraging to me. Now, the other question would be, what does retail look like in the Fanatics era? That I can't answer. So maybe all of those other things I'm thinking about, you know, lowering costs and clearance blasters and all that, maybe that's not going to matter several years down the road. But for the time being, I think we are headed in the right direction. So I was encouraged by that. And then on top of that, I got to break a couple of cellos. So you can see those on my YouTube if you'd like. You can also see my recent mail on YouTube, which normally I talk about that here on the show but I've got a busy episode for you today. So the mail's going to be moved to YouTube. So you can find that on there. In fact, several mail day videos. You want to check that out. But today I have a conversation with a Patrick Ewing super collector that I'm very excited to share with you. So 
That will be coming up here momentarily after the break. Real quick, though, I want to encourage you, if you enjoy this show, there are a few things that you can do that will help me out. Uh, Number one, go to iTunes or Apple Podcast or wherever you get this show and leave me a review. I know from time to time there's a a nasty one left in there. So uh, let's try and balance that out a little bit if you don't mind, because that does help me to promote the show and, and kind of reach new people that it hasn't reached already. And then in addition to that, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. So if you want to help support the show in that way with your eBay purchasing, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to. Shop as planned. It's not going to cost you anything extra, but the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Bob Nettleke, former Indiana Pacer. Played on a few championship teams, had a lot of fun. You know, I'm listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, one of the best there is. Okay, so joining me today is someone that has been in the hobby for a long time. If you're active on Twitter, chances are you've seen some of his Patrick Ewing collection already. If not, you need to hop on Twitter and check out his profile. I'll make sure I have that, his handle, in the title for you. Regardless, you're going to hear about that collection today. And to be honest... Well, I've never liked Patrick Ewing. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. Vinny, thank you so much for coming on the show. How's it going, man? It's great. Uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, allowing me the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, You know, the respect is mutual. I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I think what you do for the hobby is fantastic. I mean, your ability to research and understand all the inner workings of the hobby and I mean, you've even helped me look at cards a little bit differently. Like, I never thought about player, you know, um, like when their jersey on the card matches the patch. You opened my eyes up to a lot of those things, which is what makes today uh, really exciting because I know we'll we'll each learn a lot uh, by having this conversation. So thank you. Well, yeah, I and I appreciate it. And, and maybe this shows that the hobby can even bring bitter rivals together, a, a Knicks fan and a Pacers fan. And we'll we'll touch on that here in a little bit. Your Twitter bio mentions that you've been in the hobby since 1993 and you currently have 1,200 different Patrick Ewing cards. I think you just crossed that threshold. So I guess that's sort of representative of the starting point and, and where we're at now. But I'd like to hear more about the in-between. I do this with every collector I bring on. So why don't you go ahead um, and start by running us through your collecting history? Like I said, I, I started in 93, and look, I was born in 87, so it could have been 92, and I'm just mixing up my years. I was a, I was a, you know, a kid, but I can remember my dad bringing me to a sports um, you know, card store, and I think you know, we got um, some Marvel cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see you know, I've got my Captain America shirt on. Um, in my adult years, I've, I've become more of a, of a Marvel fan, and at the time, didn't even realize what I was collecting, but it just got me into the the joy and excitement of tearing open a pack of cards, not having a clue what was inside, and just thumbing through them constantly, putting them in a binder, taking them out, looking at them. I mean, there's just something so exciting about that. Shortly after that, um, he knew a guy who worked um, for one of the trading card companies, and again, a long time ago, I don't know which one it was, um, but he got us a box of cards, some baseball cards. And I'm a big baseball fan. I'm a Yankee fan, diehard Yankee fan. And the only Yankee cards I really keep are very select, like Jeter rookies, I've, I've cards, some Judge Autos, some of his rookies. 
Um, but for the most part, I never really grasped collecting baseball. But again, that feeling of opening those cards and ripping open a box was something that it just sticks with you. So probably around 94 is when, again, I credit my dad. He might, I'm in New Jersey. Um, and we, you know, had the New Jersey Nets at the time, but who the heck is rooting for the New Jersey Nets? And um, in 94, the Knicks were were great, right? They were a great team. They, they played the Rockets that year in the finals. And I can just think back to probably hearing Patrick Ewing, Patrick Ewing, Patrick Ewing. And the announcers probably just said his name a million times. And I probably thought, oh, maybe this will be a guy to play. And that's where my passion for collecting basketball cards started. And really for a very, very long time, it was a box of cards for my birthday, a box of cards for Christmas, and then going to the same you know, local card store for years, for as long as they were open until they closed. And I mean, I think they were like my babysitter. My mom would drop me off. She would, you know, go to the mall and they would just give me a box of, you know, random cards and I would just go through them for hours. And from there, I, I would find some Ewings that were mixed up in boxes and I'd just say, oh, you know, can I have this? Or can you put it in a pile for me? I'll buy it when my mom gets here if it was a nicer card. And so slowly that collection just started to build. And I think I probably thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to maybe hunt down all of his different cards? And again, they were coming out with new ones every year at the time. So it's not like there were even that, that many in the market. But I started to acquire a bunch. I had some friends that collected cards. So we would do a lot of trading. Uh, I had a, co- a couple of cousins who were big into collecting cards. And similar thing, I would go through their like shoebox of cards and our fine viewings. And they were like, you know, you can have that. I don't want to do it, right? Like, <laughs> right. It's whatever. Just... Well, you know, it's like so we all grew up in the same area, but some of them, like my one cousin was a Dennis Rodman fan. The other was a Jordan fan. So they didn't really see any value in keeping their union cards. And so, you know, my pile just started to get bigger and bigger. And then my brother and one of those cousins, we decided, like, let's do a card show. And we got, you know, a table at, I think, two shows. And whatever money I made at the show, which I can't imagine was more than a few bucks, I went around to the, to the show and I bought more Ewing cards, right? It was it was pretty simple, right? Acquire as many Ewing cards as I can, especially as a kid with, you know, I don't have any money as a kid and you don't want to ask mom and dad for too much when it comes to buying cards. And so, um, so I did that. And then around 2006, I started an eBay account and... I thought, wow, this is this is kind of easy. I can just go on here and just, you know, well, I guess at the time they probably weren't doing buy now. They're probably all auctions. I don't really remember. But just, you know, who the who the heck was like going back and forth for Ewing cards? There probably weren't a lot of us, you know, especially back then. You've been retired for a few years, probably a little bit um, not in the spotlight. So I was able to acquire a whole bunch of Ewing cards, and um, I, I think it's fair because I'm sure a lot of the people that follow my collection are wondering, okay. I hear you, you got some from your family, you got some from shows, but like, how do you get to 1,200? That's a lot of cards. So in 2006, from my college dorm room, I was just poking around eBay and I saw somebody selling their entire Ewing collection, which I, I think was about 850 cards. I think I may have spent 200 bucks on it. Hmm. I, like, and, and I didn't even know what was in there. I didn't list all the different cards. And man, oh man, much to my surprise, um, when I saw what was in there, it was like a kid in a candy shop. One card shinier than the other, you know, one more rare than the other. And um, it's so funny, actually, I'm trying to take out all these cards and go, okay, do I have this one? Do I not? Because back then I knew 
every card I had. Nowadays, I really have to, have to go back to look. And so I took all the doubles, which in hindsight, I bet you there might have been some parallels or you know cards that I, I just didn't notice at the time. And I sold them, thinking like, "What do I need these for?" And somebody bought the bought, bought the leftovers. I think they were in China. And I didn't calculate my shipping cost correct, and basically, I had to. I gave it away. My shipping cost covered what the person paid me. So, lesson learned when it came to uh, selling internationally on eBay. But uh, you know, so it was pretty consistent up until about 2017. Um, I, you know, I kind of stopped collecting new cards at that point. Uh, matter of fact, it might have even been 2015, but I always went back and I always added some Ewings to the collection. It was nothing that I ever stopped. Added a few here, added a few there. And then around 2019, um, you know, Zion Williamson is this guy coming into the league. And I'm looking back at my collection going, you know, I've collected since the 90s. I've got everybody's rookies. I've got Kobe's. I've got, you know, Shaq's. I've got LeBron. I got all these big names. I don't want to miss out on a guy like Zion. So I acquired a couple of boxes, and then again, just sort of went, oh, right, I remember this feeling. This is a lot of fun. And then very unfortunately, a handful of months later, that's when you know Kobe Bryant passed away, and that led me to going back to look at his cards, going back in my collection, go, what do I have of Kobe's? And then COVID hit. And like a lot of us, I pulled all those cards out, and I started going, well, I have a lot, a lot of time on my hands. Let's just start going back through what I have. And that's what really ignited me getting back into the hobby. I was not on Twitter for the hobby at all. Um, I started buying on eBay a lot because I wanted to get into grading cards. And again, just for the hobby, just seeing, you know, can I make a few bucks? Um, it wasn't really critical to make it, you know, income producing, but I just wanted to sort of test the waters and see what I can do. And uh, yeah, it just led to, you know, sharing my cards. Um, you know, there's a guy um, who, he posts his Elijah collection. He was doing a page per day for Elijah. Now I'm like, that's what I got to do. So I give him the credit for even giving me the idea to start posting. And of course, I thought, who's going to care about this? And I've probably got the same two dozen people that will comment every day and, you know, like it and message me. And I'm so thankful for that because it's, again, it's just giving me something else to, to do in life. You know, something that I love. I love the hobby. I love collecting cards, especially my Ewing collection. Um, it's something that I'm very thankful for. And being able to even do this today, who would have thought just, you know, a handful of months ago when I started posting that I'd have an opportunity to do this. So I'm really happy to be back in it. And, and hopefully it's something that I just continue to do for years to come. Yeah. So as you mentioned there, you're on Twitter. We got to get you on Instagram because as much as I like Twitter, and I actually prefer it more just because I, I like more text interaction, but um, what you're seeing on Twitter is going to be amplified on Instagram. So we definitely will work on getting you on there. I think it would benefit your collection in the long run. Um, another thing you touched on there is, is even though you didn't take the same breaks as everyone else, 2019 Zion, uh, that whole, you know, situation there kind of helped to bring you in. And I don't think a lot of people still understand the perfect storm of events that brought a lot of people back in. Because I, I still hear podcasts and I still see posts where people say, you know, the next time the market booms, such and such. It's like, okay, but you have to look at, you had the the Trey and Luca hype and performance that matched up to that. You had the, then the Zion hype that was, you know, he was the next hype prospect after LeBron at that point. Although Victor might 
um, surpassed that. But then you had that. You had Kobe's death. You had the pandemic, right? So we had all of these things back to back to back to back that really culminated in this perfect storm. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, and I'm not sure that's that will be the narrative going forward when people look back on this. But I hope people realize that. Um, but in a way, it's it's been good for our hobby because it's brought a lot of people back in, such as yourself. Now, um, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't had any uh, 90s player collectors on the show that started all the way back in the 90s and were um, you know, collected through as frequently as you did. A lot of people took a lot of breaks. So um, I want to approach this a little different and run through the various eras and different types of Patrick Ewing cards in chronological order. Um, and I've got some questions for you along the way. So I guess the first question should be, you know, are you picky about what you pursue? I know you've got 1,200 different cards, but do you do the non-licensed stuff? You know, is it only playing days, only leaf? You know, only, tell me what what exactly are you pursuing? So again, the the goal originally was to just have every Patrick Ewing card that was in existence, <laughs> and that's become nearly impossible now with the number of uh, super rare cards, the one of ones, the you know the high end autos and patches and things of that nature. Uh, PMGs, you know, things that have just become sort of out of reach. But as long as it's a it's a human card, I mean, for me, and it's it's funny. I've, I've sort of redefined what that means a little bit as I've progressed as a collector. Certain things like this Georgetown police set to me that was that was not in the mix when I was a kid. Like, you know, how many times I scrolled through and saw those and missed opportunities to buy them, um, or his Prism sticker. His 1985 sticker, which I just recently acquired and had to spend, you know, not a terrible amount of money, but it was a few hundred bucks. And I could have bought those for probably a few bucks, hundreds of times when I was a kid. Um, so I wish I had pulled the trigger on those many, many years ago. But no, I'm not I'm not too picky now. I mean, I'm, I'm more struggling a little bit with like the prisms and all the different, you know, parallels and these new cards that come out. But, you know, I start adding it because how can I... If I had all the early cards, how can I not have the cards? Kind of wish that the companies would stop producing them. Like, give me a break. Let me let me catch up. <laughs> I don't need you to to keep making these Ewing cards. Although I think it's fun. There's really nothing bad about it. It keeps me it keeps me engaged. It keeps me scrolling through Twitter and, and eBay to see what else is popping up. So no, I try not to be too picky. You know, you're you're not the only player collector I've heard that from. You know, Panini, give me a break. Right. Let me breathe a little bit. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned the Georgetown police set cards in there. And for the people that aren't aware of those, basically there are certain colleges and I know Georgetown specifically does this because they did it for Iverson as well. There's a like a police set where they, they hand out and it might have, you know, safety tips for kids or whatever. And these are generally sponsored by Coke or, or some, you know, a local food brand or a local company. Um, so those were distributed in each one of Patrick's. Uh, college playing days each each season for his playing days and uh, that's something that maybe jordan doesn't have um otherwise though the the pre-rookie stuff and the rookie stuff parallels jordan quite a bit both of those players have that pack pulled 1986 fleer rookie uh, you know at least according to price guides that is the rookie and, and and you know a lot of people consider that to be the case but both players also have star company releases jordan's first star card was 84 and Ewing's, I believe, was 85, 86, even though it says 86 on the card. We always hear this discussed in Jordan circles, but I guess it's only fair that we ask the Stockton collectors and the Ewing collectors and so forth. Where do you stand on the official 
true rookie card debate? For me, it's very simple. The star 85, 86 Ewing is his true rookie. Um, and for me, that's just something that I've always um, believed ever since I was a kid. It was my chase card. It was my holy grail for the set. I didn't look at the 86 Fleer and think that's the rookie I have to get. Even though I've had that rookie for a very long time, and I appreciate it a lot more now than I did then, that's probably because of all the hype the Jordan Fleer got. Mm-hmm. So it made me look at my Ewing Fleer and go, hmm, maybe this is a better one. And I'm kicking myself because I should have just, with my own belief, bought a whole bunch of Jordan Star rookies, thinking, yeah, nah, this is the real one, right? Yeah. Um, uh, that would have been very helpful. But, uh, you know, to me, a rookie card, I don't know, it's like, what was printed first? Right. Right? Like, if the star was printed first, that's the rookie card. How can that, how can that even be argued? Um, although I guess there are different philosophies on it. But that's mine. You know, his, his star was printed first, that's the rookie. Well, and also... You know, kind of when that Jordan rookie took off, the price guides were taking off, and uh, that uh, I don't want to say that they influenced that completely, but I think you know when they designated that the rookie, that that had some authority over the hobby as well. Sure. Um, I, although if you look at the '86, you know it's just Patrick kind of standing there, whereas Jordan's got this amazing dunk photo. So uh, I might go with the star rookie for Ewing as well. I think I like that picture a lot better. I, I want to say that, yeah, first off, the Ewing star picture and just the teal of the card, um, the old school jerseys, the old school Knicks logo. But I also, and maybe I'm messing this up, I think that's from his first game. Okay. I didn't know that. It might be. I, yeah. I think so. so. Someone, someone if they care enough, will will correct me. But yeah, it's just something about it. I mean, he looks a little bit like in his clear card. I'm looking up at it. I have it up here. I don't know, he looks like a little bit more mature, like it's his second year in the league or something, whereas he's just like a super scrawny, you know, rookie trying to block a shot in the star card. So again, from that point of view, to me, rookie means new. Mm-hmm. So this is like your newest card and first one from being in the league, that's the rookie. You know, the police card from Georgetown, they're not because they're his college cards. They're pre playing games. Right. Right. Okay. I, and I like that. So um, the late 80s and early 90s cards, then we'll kind of move through those real quick here. Design wise, you know, they're not all that exciting to me, but they had their place in the hobby. And, and there was, you know, a hobby boom that happened following David Robinson and Shaq and so on. Um, of course, Patrick was included in the Dream Team set. In addition to that, all the Dream Team stuff in 92. Uh, he was in the original Beam Team set. And um, then also he had like 93 scoring Kings. So he's in a lot of this iconic stuff, but you know, we don't really think of Patrick in those sets as much, I guess, because it's just such a Jordan dominated hobby in a Jordan dominated league. I mean, let's face it. Now that brings us to 93 though, as you mentioned, that's kind of when you came in. And um, that's also the first year that the Knicks and the Pacers played one another in the NBA playoffs. So we've got to stop the Ewing timeline here for a moment to talk about that some today. Um, For those of you that did not follow the sport in the 90s, the two teams faced off in the playoffs six times between 93 and 2000. The games were physical. The games were heated. Spike Lee even got involved. There's a good 30 for 30 about that called winning time. Um, I especially like the ending of it. But I have no shame in saying that I hated the Knicks. And I have a feeling you feel the same way about the Pacers. Looking back, what are some of your favorite things or, or kind of your most vivid memories about that rivalry? Well, I hated the Pacers with, <laughs> with a hard H. I mean, I hated them. Yeah, I was. A, I mean, 
I feel like the games, like I was at, you know, a whole bunch of like family Easter events, like Easter Sunday. It was like Nick's, it was like Nick Pacer all the time. I don't know why. Yeah. It, I No, I agree. It's always at family <laughs> gatherings. I remember watching these games. Yeah. Mil, Reggie's, um, was it nine points? I try and forget the, the exact number. Right. Uh, eight or nine points. Um, that was on my communion. I'm like at my <laughs> communion party watching the game. Like, holy crap, what's happening right now? I think the Knicks are supposed to win this game. You know, now as as a 35 year old who can look back on on you know all the fun I had watching back then, it was just fun. That's what it was. It was really physical, really competitive, and it's something that I think the NBA. Although I try not to get too much in this conversation, but that's missing from today. Um, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I think, you know, there's a level of softness in the league today that just wasn't there. Um, and, and, you know, you kind of like to see guys hate each other. I bet you Starks and, and, and Miller hated each other on and off the court. And, and that's what we really love about, you know, when you're going to face up with somebody, you should have this pure hatred for them uh, because, you know, you want to go out and win. So I think as much as you hate to hear this, I think my Knicks got the better of you guys. You look at the record. I, I think overall, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to concede to that. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you made but... the finals one year. Granted, it was a weird year, and there are some weird, fluky things that happened that year. Uh, yeah. We made the finals one year. Neither one of us won. So no, I, I guess no. at the end of the day, we're, we're just arguing about second place here. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, you talk about a Jordan-dominant era. Why, can you believe Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Reggie Miller, none of these guys are NBA champions. Arguably, they're some of the best. Obviously, top 75. I'm sure every name I just mentioned are top 75. Um, They're champions in a different regard, even though they don't have a a trophy or a title. Jordan was just that good, and some might argue that the two Olajuwon got in Jordan's retirement years, I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't have had them. Maybe Jordan would have gone I, I don't know, or H true, but um, I don't know. It, it, it was a, it was a beautiful era. For the NBA, some incredible talent. I really wish the Knicks would have won. I really wish, even for Reggie, and just for spreading out, spreading the wealth. I guess that Reggie would have got. Reggie was fantastic. I like him now in his commentating days. I appreciate his insights to the game, but no, back in the nineties, um, I probably hated him more than anything. I will say, and and I have said this before, I like when the Knicks are good. I like when the Lakers are good. I like when the Celtics are good. I like when these historic teams are good um, because there's nothing quite like, like the Garden, right? When the Garden is rocking, like think about how active the Garden was in that series against Atlanta. And really neither one of those teams were any good that recent series, but just the fact that the Knicks were back, right. It seemed yeah. like the Knicks are back and they're decent. Um, that guard, the garden was rocking. So I like to see that granted. I don't like to see them succeed, but I, <laughs> I at least like to be, I like for them to be relevant. Um, and, yeah. and the last time we had had that was, um, you know, when Roy Hibbert sent them into the shadow realm with that block on Carmelo <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> All well, right. You know something? I don't. I don't know if you if you realize this, and it's something I know just from the documentaries. But I think if David Stern did not, like, if Ewing didn't go to the Knicks, he was going to the Pacers. Yeah. Right. So you know, people talk about what was was it was it uh, you know was it rigged? Was the uh, card frozen for David Stern to pull that out? 
Probably because, like you said, you know, the NBA is better when when the Knicks are good and they were great in the seventies. They were terrible in the eighties. Hence, why they got the first pick. Um, and think like, what would have happened if he were drafted by the Pacers and the Knicks were garbage in the nineties? God, I can't right? even imagine rooting for him for fifteen years. <laughs> but I would have. I I would have like an amazing Patrick Ewing collection right now. Ewing. We would be even bigger rivals. Well, you know, well, no, you, you wouldn't even it. have Ewing then at that point. You'd be collecting someone else, or or not at all, or the Knicks would have sucked, and right. my dad wouldn't have had the games on, and who knows where my life in the hobby would have gone. So Your Jeter collection would have been like <laughs> just top class. You know what? You're you're absolutely right. There's too many baseball cards. Like I can't even imagine how many uh, are out there of Jeter. But no, look, it's I have this other this thought that if you are a uh, if you're 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're playing college hoops, or even if you're young in the NBA, you're a rookie, second-year guy, you don't know a life where the Knicks have been consistently good. You just assume they've been bad forever. Yeah, there was a year they went to the playoffs against the Pacers. Yeah, they, you know, Atlanta. But really, the relevance has been non-existent. They've been just a mediocre team at best. And that's where I think they face their major challenge because you don't have anybody in the NBA who understands what it means to play in a playoff game truly in Madison Square Garden. So it's right. a shame because I think that, that the NBA could be so much better with the Knicks being good. Someone just got to step up and say, I'm a, I'm a major star here. I'm coming to New York. I like Jalen Brunson a lot. The first couple of games, I like what I see. Um, but the fact that guys like Durant and Irving and, you know, when they were all talking about, you know, possibly going, um, you know, Brooklyn, which they obviously did. They just crapped all over the Knicks. Who wants to go play there? It's, it's just such a bad mentality. And I don't know. But look, again, this comes from a place of uh, just loving the Knicks and loving the NBA when the Knicks are good. So, uh, yeah. I, and, and I, I and I do I sincerely mean that I do want the Knicks to be relevant again um and and it's you know you mentioned Brooklyn it's like it's kind of like the situation in LA no matter how good the Clippers and the Nets are they will not own those towns they, yeah. they just won't own those cities so you know it is what it is so um okay so we mentioned some of those maybe having a, a top-notch Jeter collection instead of Ewing <laughs> so Jeter had a lot of those 90s parallels well so did Ewing and you do have those and, um, you know, he's got the PMGs, he's got the credentials and so on. I know people talk about how big men aren't as valuable in the hobby. And, and for the most part, I found that to be true. Um, I'm wondering though, Patrick Ewing cards, where the prices are relative to other stars from the era, is he more sought after than a lot of these other guys or, or what does his market look like now? I get the feeling that when you compare him to David Robinson, when you compare him to Elijah, when you compare him to Shaq, and maybe it's just because of how much I pay attention to them. I feel like the hobby prefers viewing over those guys from a, from a collector's standpoint. Uh, we were talking before we, you know, before we uh, got on the air here, and you had mentioned um, some of those guys maybe being, you know, good opportunity, right? Because their prices are pretty cheap. I can't believe how cheap guys like David Robinson and Shaq and Elijah are. And the thing that's different from them and Ewing, they're champions, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody always says. Oh, if Ewing had championships, his cards would be more valuable. It doesn't really equate. Um, it could be because he's such a polarizing figure when it came to um, his autographs right. and the lack thereof throughout throughout the hobby, and you know, just not being so interfacing with the fans. It's like, oh wow, if I can get that Ewing auto, I maybe have something that you know a lot of other collectors don't have. 
So I, I don't know what it is, but again, people need to remember Ewing was dominant. You know, if he had one championship, the conversation around him would be so different. People will recognize just how incredible he was. Go back, watch his highlights. I promise anybody here who hasn't seen a Ewing highlight in the last 15 or 20 years, you're going to go, wow, totally forgot how good this guy was. Right. Um, so, yeah, look, like we said already, he, he faced up guys like Jordan. Shaq idolized him. Absolutely idolized him. That's who he wanted to be. That's who he wanted to emulate. Um, and I think that's who a lot of guys are going to emulate. I'm happy he's coaching Georgetown. People might forget, like, this Ewing retired and, like, the next day he started coaching and has mm-hmm. been coaching ever since. And so I think people just don't want to give credit where credit's due. They don't want to give a guy an opportunity. He's one of, you know, the best bigs to ever play in the game. And he's a great basketball mind. And, look, I, I wish him a lot of luck. I think that it would only help the hobby. It only helps open up people's minds to some of the other big guys. Because I, just to bring it full circle, Olajuwon, Robinson, Shaq, they all deserve their cards to be, you know, a lot more expensive, valuable, if you will, than they are. Yeah, and, and you mentioned um... – kind of his temperament with fans or maybe not fans so much as just people in general and, and signing autographs. Uh, we will definitely talk on that later, a little bit later here. I don't want to forget that thought. Uh, but speaking of autographs, you know, we mentioned those rare parallels. One of the things that probably helped kill the momentum of those amazing parallels in the late nineties was the entrance of autographs and memorabilia cards. And um, as you alluded to already, Patrick has very few autos. Prior to 2003, he just had um, a hoops autograph. I think there was numbered to 1,000. And then he had this unlicensed one that I showed you earlier that's numbered to 33. And it's like, all right, we've seen a picture of one, but like, really, have we ever seen it, right? There's just so few of them out there. Um, So he was not in the big autographic set. And I would say, you know, in general, there's been a lot of chatter about how he doesn't like to sign stuff. We'll talk about that more specifically later, but have you heard anything that's more concrete on why he wasn't in those autograph sets or, you know, really autograph sets in general? No, I mean, nothing specific during his playing days. He just didn't like to sign autographs. It was, it was that simple. And I'm sure he was approached by manufacturers and and they offered him an opportunity to do it, but he said, no. And and you'll have to tell me is, is his hoops. Is there, has, was there any other card autographed? Before his hoops, like by anybody. Is there any other card? So, yeah, there were a couple, like there was a Stockton card, I want to say in like 91 or 92. There were a few players that had some pretty early ones. Uh, Dominique had a pretty early one. Matumbo had a pretty early one, although I've, I've had a Nuggets ball boy tell me it was signed by ball boys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will get into that another day. But um, there were very few early ones out there. So, yeah, it, right. it was one of the earlier ones. I will say that. Let's talk about at least the the memorabilia cards then. Um, he was in the first, um, I should say, NBA licensed memorabilia set because Press Pass had one for college in 96, but he was in the 97, 98 game jerseys. And it's it's really cool on the back. They even mentioned this is from a Ewing jersey used in the 95, 96 season. Uh, but these were an incredibly tough pull. You know, I don't even know going to your card shop if you knew that these existed. So when did you first learn about this card? Do you have one now? And and what were your thoughts on memorabilia cards? So I thought it was the coolest thing ever when they started it. That was the year that I was, that I did a couple of card shows. So I remember the excitement and chatter over it. And I, again, I was only like 10, 11 years old. So I may have bought one box and I, I didn't pull one, but I definitely had 
you know, cards from that set that I pulled. Uh, and then later on, I ended up, you know, buying one again, probably off eBay or at a card show. And just recently got it back from PSA. I got an eight, which I'm pretty happy about. Yeah, you know, that's good for that card. Nines and tens are better, but okay, we'll, we'll be happy with an eight. And uh, no, look, when, when Jersey cards first came out, I, again, I, I thought it was so cool the fact that you get a piece of memorabilia in a card. And it was like the only thing I cared about getting in the box was not only the viewing card from whatever the set was, but I want to get memorabilia cards. And it's so disappointing now that they're potentially not even player-worn jerseys or like the player-worn at some media event. That doesn't count. They mean nothing to me. They should hold no value, these new ones. Because the fact that the back of that card says that it was a game-worn jersey that Ewing you know, played in, that makes it, you know, in the upper echelon of memorabilia cards, mm-hmm. right? So I love it. I thought it was it was a great addition for the hobby. It brought new excitement to collecting and, you know, the potential that you can pull it. So I thought it was, it was a, definitely a catalyst in that period, in that 97 or 98 period to get more eyeballs on the Right. Yeah, the memorabilia cards are definitely, um, specifically for rookies, are not on a very good trajectory right now. So hopefully... Um, that's not a trend that continues. Hopefully whatever happens, be it, you know, Panini gets acquired or fanatics takes over. Hopefully it changes. That's we'll, yeah. we'll leave it at that. I've, I've talked about that a lot. I, I could, uh, you're going to get me into a topic here that I'm, I'm very <laughs> passionate about. So let's talk about a, another topic here that um, I'm sure was a big deal to you regarding Ewing and his career timeline as the nineties wound down. You know, his career kind of did the same and he was getting older. You know, that happens. He was getting older. He was injured. Um, I think the story goes heading into the final year of his deal. He wanted it. He wanted to play like three more years, which he was toast at that point. Um, it didn't seem like the Knicks wanted to go that route, which I know is a, is a hard decision to make when you've got a guy that's been your franchise for so long. And I think that all culminated in Ewing asking for a trade. And I, the details are coming from different sources there, but that's kind of been the consensus that I've seen. So he spent one year in Seattle and then he finished his career in Orlando. And just as a quick aside here, it didn't make my top 50 countdown, but I, I do have a uh, a prime relic card of him that has a Sonics patch and a, a magic patch in it. And even though I don't like Ewing, I, I really like that card it kind of encapsulates my, um, you know, the downfall of my basketball nemesis is maybe <laughs> why I like that so much. So I, I, you know, probably not as good of a feeling about that card as, you know, as, as um, what you would be feeling for a Knicks card. It probably had a different tone as a collector when those Sonics cards first come and started coming out and you saw them in a Sonics uniform. How did you process all of that? Well, look, I remember when he was traded and it was devastating because when you were 14, and you've been watching one player for half of your life at that point, it feels like everything's crumbling around you, right? What else are you thinking about? Right. Such a young age when it comes to sports. I felt he was terribly disrespected. Yeah, he was older. Yeah, he had injuries. But this was your everything. You are nothing without him. He is your leader. He is your champion. He is your everything. And... It's like what the Lakers did for Kobe in his last couple of years. It's like what the Yankees did for Jeter in his last couple of years. Pay him whatever the heck he wants as a thank you for what he's done for the last 15 years, right. not for what he's going to do for the next few years. Now, they might have also told him he was going to have a diminished role. He was going to come off the bench. He got Marcus Camby as your you know future center. 
yeah, he probably didn't take that, you know, news very well. And the trade for me was the downfall for the next 20 years. I mean, literally since they've traded him, they have been crap. And so for me, it's like the Ewing curse over the Knicks. You never should have traded the guy. But when it came to seeing his Sonics cards, as much as I hated he wasn't on the Knicks, there was this new level of excitement of getting a card. They had him in a different jersey. They had more green than blue and orange. And people will tweet me and say, I can't even believe you have Ewing, you know, Orlando cards and Sonic cards. But they're Ewing cards. I right. never said I never said I was just collecting Ewing Knicks cards. I said I'm collecting all of his cards. So it was a it was a weird feeling to see him in a different jersey. Uh, I was very sad. I mean, he he was eh, you know on the Sonics. He still started. We got to Orlando. He was coming off the bench, and it was like, you know, what are you doing, man? And, and all the guys did it, right? A lot of them ended up on the Raptors for a year. Like right, people forget that whatever. one. Yeah, I I really appreciate with a guy like Reggie. You know, you're just you're in one uniform, Kobe. Jeter, Robinson, Duncan should be that way. Right. You know, it, should, it should always be that way. And it's and some of those down. guys flirted with other teams, though. I mean, you know, people try and paint it like they were incredibly loyal or the teams were loyal to them. Some of it was just circumstances. But it worked out at the it end of the day. Out. Right. Yep. Kobe asked for a trade at one point. I mean, it is what it is. They they stayed there for Ewing. The Knicks could have said, no problem. Here, here you go. Maybe it's not three years, it's two years. But understanding that we're going to get Camby into the, you know, to that role, and you know, you can mentor him and do whatever you want to do. And I think things would have panned out a lot differently for New York, just going into the two thousands, and you know, again, go back to what I said before, like getting some of the younger guys to be more engaged with the Knicks as a favorable place to want to play and in mm-hmm. your career. So you know, maybe a curse is probably too over exaggerated, but definitely it wasn't a good thing for them to do. Okay, guys, allow me to interrupt for a moment to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With the ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckoutMyCards. Okay, so we talked some about autographs earlier and how they've been few and far between. Upper Deck was able to get him to sign some in the higher end 2003 products, and then he didn't start signing until 2008. He had some Leaf stuff in 2012, so it's been hit and miss. And then eventually Panini got him starting in 2015. Um, it has been sporadic since then, though, which is probably good for your wallet, as as we kind of talked about. Um, now, I promise this is not a Patrick Ewing bash session, but I want to give a little more context on some of his autograph fiascos um, to kind of, um, before I get to our next question, I guess, to kind of put everything into perspective here. So around 2013, Steiner Sports brought Patrick Ewing in, and he agreed to sign cards for like $100 a pop, which... Uh, was steep for an autograph signing at the time, but because he didn't want to sign throughout his career, um, you know, so many people needed him, they paid the price. So a lot of people sent in and the first couple of signings went well and uh, they kept bringing him in and they did another signing in early 2014 and Patrick just got tired and he, there was like a hundred cards that he just scribbled on. Like he put the letter P and just kind of uh, scribbled on them. So um, they ended up refunding people 
And then they had to bring him back in again to sign stuff for those same people. So I'm sure Patrick was really excited about that. Um, around the same time, I'll give you my personal experience. He was an assistant coach for the Bobcats when I had season tickets. And I did not see that man pick up a pin one time while I was there. And I was, you know, I was autograph hunting. Um, I tried to get him to sign the most I got out of me. He fist bumped my binder, which, you know, thanks, Patrick. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, he didn't like signing. It doesn't mean he's not a nice guy necessarily. Some people just don't like signing. But um, I know you had an experience with him at a private signing. And I think it was actually through Steiner. So, um, you know, you hear people say, I, I front loaded all of this question because you hear people say you don't want to meet your idols, right? You know, who knows what's going to happen as a result of that, or they could kind of crush what you built them up to be in your mind. What was your Patrick Ewing experience like? So actually, we didn't talk about this, and this might surprise you. My aunt's sister worked in the NBA, like in the early 90s. And she knew how much I liked Patrick Ewing. And she somehow, I don't know how, was able to get me an autograph. I think she worked for like NBA TV. Okay. And it says, to Vinny, best wishes, Patrick Ewing, on, you know, a Patrick Ewing photo. I have it right here. It's like one of my prized, you know, sports uh, pieces of memorabilia. I love it. But I knew that he wasn't an autograph song. And this whole, like, you know, sometimes man, I want to meet your idol. Like that stuck with me for a really long time. And I was always really scared and nervous, actually, that if I met him, he'd be like, get out of here, kid. You know, right. A good friend of mine was in the Bahamas. Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning and Matumbo were walking towards him. He said, hey, can I have an autograph? I think it was either Matumbo or Mourning said yes. The other two, including Ewing, said no. And I just heard people, like, people always wanted to tell me their viewing stories and how bad it went when they would ask for one of them. So I got this all in the back of my head. So in um, probably 2012, 13, I don't remember, um, the Ewing Athletics brand uh, was relaunched. And he was going to be in D.C., sort of doing a meeting. He was going to be at the store. And I turned to my now wife and I said, we're going to D.C. tomorrow. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and so I'm in line and I, there's a, the guy ahead of me sort of gestures to him like, will you sign? And Patrick waves it off. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad this guy did that because I may have been the one to ask and I would have been devastated. He was super nice. He took a picture. Uh, they gave out a poster. It, we chatted for probably a minute, maybe less, but it was really good. But I didn't get that elusive autograph, in-person elusive autograph. That's when Steiner came out with the in-person uh, session. I drove up to White Plains. I brought a jersey. It was great. He was there signing. He was getting paid to do it, right? But he was he was friendly. He, was, uh, he signed beautifully. I got it on a jersey. I made the mistake that I took the jersey. I threw it in the car, not even thinking to put it on a hanger or whatever. And like on the number that he signed, there's like a crease going through it. All my fault. All my fault. Uh, but I framed it, and it's beautiful. And then after that, Steiner had the, you know, you would send an item in to have him sign it, which I elected to do. And again, the autograph came back beautiful. So um, you had mentioned to me that there was this fiasco, although I'd never heard of it until now. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, I see him. This is just a fun little tidbit, although he wouldn't like it. Um, he's on Cameo or was on Cameo. And, oh, God. oh my God, man. It's <laughs> it's so funny. It's just him. It's just how he is as a person. He's not as outgoing as a lot of athletes are. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, 
if I'm even going to think for a second to have Patrick Ewing send me a video, I got to see what it's going to be like. And they went to some examples, and it's not. It's like, no. it's, it's short. Out of curiosity, what does a Patrick Ewing cameo run someone these days? Uh, this is probably two years ago that I checked. I mean, I think it was like 500 bucks. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Um, yeah. I, I saw a, another, um, it might've been the, the tour or whatever you want to call it that you went to where it was like $500 for a meet and greet with Patrick, no autographs, but he will give you a pre, you know, a pre-signed photo or whatever. And I even saw people replying to that post saying, I'll give him $500 to sign my card. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that just shows like the demand for Ewing stuff because you had guys doing 50 greatest photos. You had guys doing 86 clear sets. You know, he was in all of these big dream team photos, right? He's in all these big projects that people want him in yeah. and he's tough. Stockton was tough. You know, there were Malone, you know, some of these guys were very, and obviously Jordan were very tough. So um, people were going to great lengths to get them. Okay. So I'm, I'm happy though, that you had a great experience with Patrick <laughs> Ewing because it, it could have been disastrous. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the pre Panini stuff. I imagine you have a lot of that. Um, I referenced the fact that he signed for Panini since then he's had a lot of leaf stuff lately. So unless you redefine the parameters a little, the hunt continues and, and oh, that's, yeah. you know, that keeps us in this thing. So I'm curious to know what that hunt looks like right now what does your ewing daily routine look like well right now it starts with posting a card to twitter um for my for my you know page a day um so you mentioned oh you know you, you just got your 1200 card that's great i have that card i didn't just acquire it i've got a few more that i can post and now i'm getting to like the very end of my collection of what i have now so um, I am spending a little bit more time on eBay, um, just kind of poking around, seeing what I want to buy. Um, a little bit more time on Twitter, seeing, because people always want to send me, hey, here are my Ewing cards. I'm sure you have them, but maybe not. And most of the time I have them. But I have been able to acquire a handful that um, you know came directly through Twitter. A couple of guys who are just like, hey, this is for you. I don't want anything. I love what you're doing with hobby and I love what you're posting. So um, now when I'm looking, it becomes a little bit more selective. Like maybe I do want to add one of the autos to the collection and I'm going to have to spend a few hundred bucks, but you know, maybe that, that's where I want to go. Um, but it's been like, you know, the other night I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just scrolling through. I'm like, you know, I don't have this Panini parallel and I don't have whatever, this optic card. So I just, you know, for five bucks, it's so cheap to buy these base cards that you can't help but just want to add them to the collection. And especially because I'd like to keep with the posting and, Showing people what else I have, um, so that's that's what it looks like. But you know, just to add on to people who are interested in the greater hobby and what I do, um, I have a collection that's probably one hundred and fifty thousand parts. Um, so it's not just my viewings. I have everything that from the time I was a kid to what I have now. The last couple of years, I've acquired a ton of Kobe's. Has been really interesting to me. Uh, a lot more 90s era Jordans, Luca, love Luca, been adding a whole bunch of Lucas. So my day-to-day in the hobby, not just with Ewing, definitely revolve around just checking prices, checking availability, seeing what people are posting. Um, you know, I bought a lot of the cards sort of at the height of things, and I'm waiting for some of those prices to even out so I can, you know, at least break even when I sell them uh, or make a few bucks because who doesn't want to do that? So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely every day doing something with the hobby. So, all right. So we'll definitely get your, get your name out there. 
uh, and try and get you some more exposure to get some more Ewing stuff. Now, as we start to wind things down, though, you know, we just talked about the ones that you're hunting for. Let's talk about some of the ones that you already have. I've done an uh, activity recently where I've asked collectors when they come on to um, describe their three favorite cards in their collection. So let's go ahead and do the same here. I want you to tell me about your three favorite cards and a little bit about how you acquired them. Uh, let's start with number three and then end with number one. Okay, now this may be surprising. I'm not going just Ewing's. Okay. I, I wanted to make this for everybody, okay? Perfect, I love All it. All right, the 1998 Skybox Duncan Go Nuts Kobe Bryant. Okay. I pulled that as a kid. Had it in my collection ever since. I love the see-through nature of it. I love the Dunkin' Donuts play. Um, I love the colors. I just think it's a great card. It's a great set. There's an awesome Jordan that's in there that people are always trying to hunt down. And a lot of people, frankly, are trying to get the Kobe too. It's not the easiest card to come by. Although there are plenty of copies on eBay, um, you know, if you get that higher grade, they're pretty expensive. Um, so I really, really love that card. That's number three. Number two is a card that I have coveted for so many years and acquired one. It was not a great copy, got a very poor grading on it, but nevertheless, the 93 Ultra Michael Jordan Scoring King, there's just like, yeah, there's like nothing better, man. The lightning, mm -hmm. the purple-pink hue that just sort of pops so nicely off of the red Bulls jersey. Um, it's just a beautiful card. A cousin of mine had it as a kid, and ever since I saw it, I was just uh, like in love with it. And so that, I mean, it goes to show like how early I was in the hobby because that was probably a card that he had pulled. Um, so, you know, yeah, like 93, 94, like it kind of hits exactly when I started. Number one, though, we already mentioned it. And again, this was like, believe it or not, we talked about how hard it was to acquire cards before eBay became a trusted place. To, and maybe that's not fair. Maybe they've always been a trusted place. But there wasn't as much visibility around authentication and whether or not we're getting a fake card or a real card. And so as a kid, top of my Christmas list every year was that Patrick Ewing Star 8586. It's just what I wanted so badly. And I saw it at a card show. And, I, and remember, this was like in the mid-90s. I think it was $215. There was no way my parents were going to give me money, that kind of money for a card. There's no way I was going to spend it. It's like thousands of dollars in today's time, right? Right. Um, so sadly, I had to pass on it. And it wasn't until years and years later, I was at a card show with my mom. I was still relatively young, and I saw it. The guy was only asking 100 bucks. Mom, please, please. This was like the summer. She said, fine, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to give it to you on Christmas, right? Like a lot of parents do. And it's just been my favorite card ever since. I'm so happy to have it. It will forever and always be my number one. doesn't matter what else I pull. Um, that will always be my favorite. And the fact that you, I mean, you essentially hunted it down yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, it wasn't something that you just went and clicked by. Uh, there was a process that went into that. So it just made you appreciate that even more. Yep. I love it. Uh, I'm surprised by the Kobe card, but it makes sense when once you explain it. Uh, you know, I thought we would have three Ewing cards in there for sure. So never a dull moment here and never a dull moment with that activity. Hey, I got to interject for a second. I have three kids. It's like asking me which is your favorite i mean i i wanted to have three you in cards and i started thinking about which ones are my favorite and I, I always know the number one but to come up with a second and a third it's like i don't know i love them all so much and since i've really started 
diving deep into my own collection, I, I didn't quite realize what I had. And so mm-hmm. some of the uh, Skybox credential cards I've sent out to grade, I've taken out of the binder, I've held it in my hands. They're they're beautiful cards. And I've got some favorable grades in that seven, eight range on a bunch of them. So those are on my list. And anything that like, I have so many 90s refractors and atomic refractors, they're all so cool. Like there's nothing better than a 90s refractor unless it's the Star 85, of course. Um, but they're just, they're such great looking cards. And again, to say like, which of those do you like? I've got the round ball royalty refractor sitting in front of me. Um, I got the 90, uh, 90, yeah, eight skybox UN credential. I mean, they're just, they're just such good looking cards. So they're all really my favorite and that's a total cop out, right? I know it. Right. Hey, it is not an easy activity. Um, I, I know, um, I'm doing this 50 favorite list right now. And I'm at, I'm at like the twenties where I'm showing the videos and I've recorded all of them already. But like, as I'm piecing this together, I've got a card in like the twenties and I'm like, this is 20 spots too high. (laughs) You know, I'm having major second thoughts about some of these are like, you know, why didn't I go through a box? Why didn't I include this in there? It's just too hard to make that list. I attempted to do it. I don't know if I did a great job, but um, regardless, we know that we like these cards uh, no matter what order we're putting them in. Uh, Vinny, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show and, um, you know, spend the extra time. I know we've, we've taken a while here this morning here. We've messaged some back and forth, but we've never been able to chat for an extended period of time. So I, I really enjoyed this. And uh, before I let you go, feel free to plug your Twitter handle, um, anything you might be working on or anything specific that you're looking for. These next few moments here are yours. Listen, this has been a ton of fun for me. Um Anytime I can take a few minutes to talk about my hobby, things that I'm passionate about. I mean, I, I work full-time I'm a corporate real estate broker for, for a pretty big um, real estate company. So that's like what I'm doing most of the time. And to have this other identity outside of husband and dad uh, and real estate professional, it's just been so fun. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to utilize your platform to talk about it. I, I guess I'm going to have to get started on Instagram. So I don't have that. You got to. Yep. <laughs> I'll make sure to share that handle when the account's created. My Twitter account is at Vinny underscore Demeglio, B-I-N-N-Y underscore D-I-M-E-G-L-I-O. What I'm searching for, and please everybody give me a follow. I'd like to follow back. I don't care what Twitter thinks. Like you shouldn't have as many followers as you follows, but you know, I think it's fun. Um, yeah, look, I'm Ewing's. I don't care. It's DM me, send me whatever you have. I'll tell you if I have it or not. And if I don't, you know, I'm likely to try and work something out with you to acquire it. Um, again, nowadays, I yeah, I am because I have so many Ewing's and, and I don't have as many of the Lucas and you know some of the earlier Kobe's. You know, I'm happy to to talk about acquiring those. I think it's fun to build a collection because again, for so many years, I was so focused on Ewing that I missed out on just buying so many Jordans and Kobe's in the nineties, I, I could have had a treasure trove. Um, so I'm trying to add some uh, to the collection now. So um, just, just keep the conversation going. Thank you to you for what you do for Hobby and um, all the works behind the scene that you do, which really appreciate it. And I just look forward to, uh, you know, building upon this. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again, Vinny. Take care. All right. Well, there you have it. You know, I have never been a fan of Patrick Ewing. I know I made that clear in that conversation. But I definitely enjoyed my conversation with 
his number one collector. So thanks to Vinny once again for taking the time to chat. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.